Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Press Room. It's Monday, the 11th of December. And as always, thanks for your company. Big show coming up. Ben Dorry's not too far away, but a lot to discuss right through the program this morning. Of course, we'll chat with Mitch Cohen regarding the, the Rose Hill announcement last week. A big story. We'll talk about that in just a moment. In fact, Chris Barsby joins us. The heats are over. It's grand final time for ID23 this Saturday night at Albion Park. And all of the news from Adelaide with Ben Scannon and from Tassie with Colin McNiff. Also, I want to have a chat to Bob McCarg from the Carbine Club. Uh, they've got their big function coming up. The, during the Magic Millions Carnival. Bob will join me in the second half hour of the program. Always interested in what you think. You know the drill. You can text me at uh, 0499 putter. That's 0499 You can tweet me at Radio Tamils. Don't forget, of course, the podcast. It's out every week. We tweet the link out on Radio Tamils or go to Spotify and search under Radio Tam. Press room each and every Monday, as you know, is brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, the consideration between the Australian Turf Club and the New South Wales State Government to sell Rose Hill Gardens for a housing development is, in terms of racing stories, one of the bigger ones. And further, again in terms of racing stories, the fact there was no leak is quite amazing. It landed like a bombshell on late Wednesday. With quite a lot to digest, opinions are still being considered and formulated, but one can see some predictable battle lines already being drawn. Unsurprisingly, Hall of Fame training legend Gay Waterhouse was swiftly off the mark, slamming it as a poor decision. Although, to be fair, nothing has been decided as yet, with only a memorandum of understanding drawn up between the ATC and the state government. Chris Waller, the man who prepares the lion's share of horses trained at Rosehill Gardens, was also unsurprisingly circumspect when asked for his opinion. If anything, Wallace certainly didn't endorse the announcement, sensibly wanting more information. The Keep Rose Hill hashtag, which will inevitably appear, will be based on the track's strong profile and a viewpoint on the tradition of the Golden Slipper, first run there in 1957. The Cell Rose Hill team will reply, you can't eat tradition, and point to a potential return of at least $5 billion out of the sale, which will fireproof Sydney metropolitan racing. And it's probably more than fair when they describe it as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This announcement and the ATC's current financial position are not mutually exclusive, which been, has been noted by many, but improvements to Royal Randwick, Canterbury and Warwick Farm on several fronts is considered a certainty. And also in their armoury is that the potential sale unlocks a key social issue of housing shortage, so Having a government support and endorse your proposal generally takes you a long way. But will ATC members put a major spoke in this wheel when asked to vote on the proposal, which will be sooner than later? Or will their vote be torpedoed by a a loophole or a hidden clause and blindside them at five minutes to midnight? So as we said, a lot to digest and plenty of water to flow under the bridge. And to conclude, a training centre of excellence will be built to accommodate the Rose Hill trainers. That's a given, naturally. But if you believe another track will be built to replace Rose Hill Gardens, you also believe there's pie in the sky and pigs may well fly. 
because that won't be happening. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. As we said, thanks for your company on Press Room this morning. Well, the story landed last Friday that the Queensland State Government would launch a review into the Queensland Racing Integrity Commission. Formed in 2016, Curic has had its fair share of time in the spotlight under previous commissioners, Ross Barnett and Mark Ainsworth. The current commissioner is Shane Gillard. But for those of the Beltway, this announced review comes as no surprise. Rumblings on several fronts, particularly from industry members, is well known and well heard. Let's get Ben Dorry's take on it. Ben, as we say good morning to you, is this a housekeeping issue by the state government or is there more to it? What say you? Oh, definitely more to it, David. I mean, you don't <clears throat> announce an independent review if there's nothing to see here. Um, so, look, there's many things to look at. I guess one is the costs of uh, this organisation, which have really ballooned in a fairly uh, short period of time. That, that, that's, that's one thing, and, and whether that money is sort of being appropriately spent. Um, but then I suppose there's the forward-facing issues that we've seen stewarding-wise, and this isn't necessarily pinning stewards. I mean, some of this is to do potentially with the framework of, of the Keurig organisation. Now, some of these include, you know, Keurig's handling of the, the Chris Munns case, which sort of dragged on for three years, didn't it, before it was dropped recently. Rob Heathcote being gagged after the Hemaplex case. Desley Forster being um, banned for six months uh, before having the matter basically totally quashed and, <clears throat> um, you know, having a $7,000 fine appeal. Then there was the Ben Curry matter, which dragged on and on and on for years. You know, finally he got an 18-month ban after he sort of semi-returned to racing, but then that got halved on appeal. And there's other matters, like the Daryl Graham, you know, harness racing case, which which Keurig eventually lost. It was a six-year battle, but, I mean, that cost Daryl Graham's family over half a million dollars. And, look, there's other things to, to see potentially here. Lots of high-profile staff members have come and gone and low-profile staff members, um, for that matter. So... Look, it's it's really interesting biscuits, isn't it? I mean, Keurig was formed after the live baiting, uh, you know, stuff in the Greyhound as a, as a way forward, I suppose, for Queensland integrity. But look, I mean, this isn't the rumblings to do with Keurig. Just yeah, you know, it hasn't just surfaced in you know, the last weeks or months. It's been going on for years. So look, it's really interesting stuff. And <clears throat> the other interesting thing, I think, David, and I normally try and stay out of politics, but is the politics of this. I mean, let's not forget we will have a new Premier. Anastasia Palaszczuk is, is Gavinonsky. Uh, we'll have a new Premier in a short period of time. Uh, those smarter than me say that Labor are long odds to win the next election. So we could potentially have a change of government as well. So if we do, what do they do with Keurig following this potential review? And look, the other thing I'm hearing, David, which is it could be significant as well, uh, there is the high potential, I think, for Racing Minister Grace Grace to depart the building in the next sort of you know month or two. I, I don't think she will be there come the next election. So there's so many moving parts in this. Um, but look, the, I mean, the, the sort of vanilla bland quotes from uh, Grace Grace and the government to do with this, yeah, we're having a look at this, we're going to have a look at it anyway, oh, I, I think there's a far more to it than that, David. So... Look, it'll take a while to play out, um, but I think you know there's been a lot of meetings between industry and and government and Keurig and whatever, and there's a, there, there is a distinct level of dissatisfaction. But I will say that most of that, not all of it, but most of it is probably directed, you know, at the runnings of the organisation, at some of the red tape, at the higher levels of the organisation, rather than individual oh. stewards. Because I would say, as a whole, 
Um, the stewards, I think, are doing a reasonable job considering they're working their bums off, a lot of them. And, and this is another thing. I mean, there's so much money being spent by this organisation, yet we seem to be, you know, stewards seem to be working harder than ever with less resources than ever. So it's a matter for smarter minds than you and I to try and work out, David. Yeah, it's it's interesting to chart the history. As I said at the, the outset, Keurig uh, was inaugurated in 2016, and it was a uh, born out of a Labor government, which is st- was still in power. There's been criticism of Keurig in the past. We've never got to the review stage. So, what I'm asking to you, or, or getting, seeking your opinion, five weeks ago, a prominent owner approached me to function and said, "Have you heard of strike action?" by the racing industry in regards to Keurig. And I said, no, I haven't. I said, but that doesn't surprise me because, as I said, even at that stage five weeks ago, you know, I'd heard rumblings and discontent. So for the fact, and the other fact is the Labor government have been staunch defenders of Keurig. Understandably, they invented it, but they've always promoted it highly. The fact we've now come to this independent review suggests to me, this is what I'm coming to you to ask, is has there been meetings of such intensity that the prompt of this independent review in the last month or so? Yeah, there has. Look, I don't think it was ever going to get to strike action. I mean, certainly not in the foreseeable future. I mean, look, that may have been bandied about as a, as a threat, as a bit of a, you know, as a wild card in all of this. But I, I sort of, I guess, if that was bandied about, which I think it was to some extent, I mean, this internal review, I suppose, heads that off, doesn't it? I mean, you know, the government, the government can now say, look, um, you know, we're, we're, we're having a look at this closely. Uh, well, an, an independent review is. But look, I, I've got to say, just on, I'll, you know, I'll give you some personal anecdotes, David, which frustrate me, I've got to say. Like, here's some. Like, Josh Adams, the chief steward, I think does is, is a fair person and does a reasonable job, and I get on fine with him. But there's rules in play at Keurig that I'm in the media... And so I can only talk to Josh Adams to get a comment on, on something on a race day, as in if there's an inquiry unfolding in front of me. I can't actually ring him to get, you know, for the other six days a week, uh, if there's a major issue or something, I, I have to sort of submit some questions to Keurig and then they go to Josh Adams and then they come back and then they go to the high level and it just goes round in circles. And it can be, you know, a day or two before I get anything back and it's just a statement rather than actually getting to actually chat to the chief steward. Now, look, I know they do other things. I know Josh, for instance, is on you know this station on Saturday mornings giving a track report and, and other things. But look, quite frankly, I think it's ridiculous. And that's not no fault of Josh's, may I add. Um, that, that's, the, that's the sort of framework that's been set up. But yeah. I, I mean, what chief steward anywhere in the world, honestly, let alone in Queensland, can a journalist not pick up the phone and, and have a chat to him about a, a pressing issue. And it's not like, you know, we're going to sort of ring him every second day and ask him what he had for breakfast. I mean, this is sort of, you know, we're talking serious racing issues, you know, appeals, even just to clarify things for the sake of readers. When I say readers, I mean, that that's racing followers and racing fans. So, look, that's just one um, thing that I've struck, just in terms of the red tape and the way this organisation that's set up, that's frustrated me. And you might think I'm whinging on behalf of the media, but let's face it, the media is the voice to the to the rest of the, the world, isn't it? So if I can't get you know information in a concise manner, if I have to go you know round the roundabout 23 times to try and get it, well, well that means information is delayed for the punters and, and the readers and the and the consumers of our racing products. 
Exactly right. I'll put my money on KPMG being the, the one to be appointed by the Labor government to do the independent review because that's normally their, their go-to. They've previously done a review into racing. So we'll follow that story with interest because they are expected, whoever does the review, and I'm saying it'll be KPMG, it will be uh, released or forwarded to the government in the first quarter of 2024. We only had four runners in the field and ready at Eagle Farm on Saturday. That's grossly disappointing. We did start with seven. There were three scratchings. This is not just a South East Queensland issue. You you look Australia-wide, there's a lack of two-year-olds racing. You know, Whereas back in the 70s and 80s, and we used to have two-year-old racing starting even like late September, but, but certainly early October, and there was two-year-old racing each week. That's not the play at all, but uh, the fact we only had light numbers in the field and ready, um, I think, has really rammed this issue home uh, quite strongly. Yeah, and look, not only the field and ready, I mean, many two-year-old races we've seen in, in Queensland in recent times. And look, I guess one issue is, um, a longer-term issue, is there's so many rich two-year-old races sort of later in the season now, I guess, isn't there? And the prize money for those that have been boosted in New South Wales and, and other places, that one one issue is, you know, the two-year-olds are being held back potentially for those. But look, a bigger issue and a more pressing issue, and this is fascinating stuff, I reckon, David, uh, there's a real thought out there amongst... Um, you know, racing participants, and it was interesting that um, the Brisbane Racing Club's uh, head of racing, Matt Rudolph, went on the record uh, in a story with Trenton Acres, which appeared in the Courier Mail today, saying he feels the issue with these small fields is these debut races, these Magic Millions debut races. There's now two of them. There's previously been one of them, uh, two $500,000 debut races, and they're, they're split into, obviously, you know, Colton Geldings and Phillies now, so there's two rather than one. But obviously, as the name suggests, the debut race, you can't have had a start to race in it. So, look, look he's suggesting effectively these races are cannibalising the summer, summer, summer carnival because, uh, the, you know, there's, there's effectively uh, trainers and connections that are thinking, oh, we might have a two-year-old good enough for the, for the um, you know, the Magic Millions uh, two-year-old classic. But you know what? Oh, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, you know what? The better option is this debut race. Uh, or debut races, which are worth $500,000 in their own right. So, look, I mean, that's his theory. I'll read you some quotes. He says, It's a shame to see it play out as the Brisbane lead-up races to the Magic Millions have provided the past four winners of the race. Uh, He says, basically, uh, he suggests a change, and he says, uh, we'd love to see these races, the the debut races he's talking about, uh, programmed at the start of the summer carnival to lead into Magic Millions and potentially have then a wild card attached to them to get into the two-year-old Magic Millions Classic. So, look, I think what he's saying, um, it's certainly thought-provoking, and I've got no doubt that that is one of the reasons why uh, we are seeing such small fields. And it was desperately disappointing, I've got to say, on the weekend. And, yes, admittedly, Spywire was scratched at $1.09, who would have won that race by 600 lengths. Um, but, look, this is the time, isn't it, where, I mean, it's December 11 today. I mean, we are in the summer carnival. It's been going for three or four weeks now that all eyes or a lot of eyes in Australian racing should be on Queensland. And they turn on the TV and they see a four-horse race. Mm. And it must be said, good on Tony and Matty Sears. They've got a nice, uh, you know, winner of that race. But as we referenced yesterday, uh, a hell of a lot slower than the, the Phillies won by Tony Gollan. And it was hardly a race that was going to sort of make you turn on the TV or have a bet, was it? So very disappointing. Um, so, I, I, you know, it, it, 
again, it requires probably a further look at because I suppose in some people's eyes, the, the, the summer carnival is magic minions. I mean, a lot of people down south would probably think that's the case, but it's not the case. We, we want this time of year to be up and humming in Brisbane. Yeah, certainly the Magic Millions is, is the grand final. But that, that issue in itself that you've just discussed that, that Trenton wrote about, uh, I'm sure the Gold Coast Turf Club, Brisbane Racing Club and Racing Queensland will meet on that. But as I said at the outset, the broader issue is a lot of two-year-olds are now starting their campaigns much later than what they used to. Look, um, the All-Star Mile doesn't have the voting process anymore, but they've decided to, to select certain races. If you, you win, you're in. And they've paid the, the the Gold Coast Turf Club the major compliment by saying the Magic Minions three-year-old Guineas winner of 2024 in, what, five weeks' time will get automatic entry into the All-Star Mile. I admire their their uh, initiative, um, uh, Racing Victoria, but have they picked the right race? And the reason I ask the question is this. These three-year-olds make their Guineas their grand final. There is no doubt about that. So they work towards a high point, 1,400 metres in the middle of January. Can that winner then have to reset at a short space of time and go to a mile against older, more experienced horses within two months? The the, the, the best uh, uh, parallel to this story is, and, and many trainers will tell you, you can't go to a Magic Minions and a Golden Slipper. Some can try it, and, and uh, I think Dan's Hero did it, but but generally it's one or the other, or or a, or a magic millions of the blue diamond. So I'm just wondering whether they've picked the right race or not. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, David. I don't mind the sort of innovation behind it, no, but look, I mean, a lot of I'm sure the trainers will, will start texting me right after I say this. But let's face it, a lot of these three-year-olds that race in the skinnies are dead set milk drinkers. Like some of them will dead set never be seen again. They may never win another race. Um, and look. Uh, if you look at the history of the race, uh, you would suggest that if a lot of these three-year-olds had have run in an all-star mile and a couple of months later, they did say it would have been struggling to run last. Um, they may not have even run last. They would have been so far tailed off. There have been some exceptions, obviously, alligator blood. Um, you know, uh, is, I suppose, a case in point, although he was subsequently stripped of that race and then reinstated. But look, I suppose it's just going to be one that um, we have to, I suppose, wait and see how it works. I mean, Fashion Legend won the three-year-old Guineas last year. No disrespect to Fashion Legend, but, I mean, how far would Fashion Legend have got been in an all-star mile that Mr. Brightside won? I mean, mm. it just doesn't even bear thinking about. So, look, I, I don't mind the idea, but I tend to agree with you. Have they got the right race? Um, yeah, This strikes me as something that could potentially be here today, gone tomorrow. But we'll give it a chance, David, and see how it goes. I just think it's hard to 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 you know go to that high level twice in a short space of time, considering they're still a young horse. Mitch Cohen's about to join us from Sydney. Before you go, though, and look, I've been against the Inter Dominion being run at six thirty. That's that's well known. However, however, if you keep butting your head against a wall, you'll end up with a big headache. I've got to say how this has panned out, and it's half by luck, not by strategy. We're going to have the Inter Dominion at 6.30, Ollie's Farewell at Ascot, and then this big Greyhound race, the Phoenix, all staggered so that three codes have, have almost joined together to provide a great theatre this Saturday night. Yeah, I love it, David. I reckon it's terrific. I can understand your initial apprehension about the 6.30 Queensland uh, start time for the Inter Dominion Pacing Championship, which is obviously 7.30 
uh, in the southern states. But I just think it all parlays really, um, really nicely. Um, as you say, well, you know, there will be a lot of eyes on Damien Oliver's farewell, Sky Thoroughbred Central. I imagine there'll be a lot of interviews and people up and about about that. And, and you know, once you've once you've sort of had your had your pun on the the eastern seaboard, you'll be turning over to that. Uh, and then people who don't even realise the inner dominion's on, it'll smack them in the face. I'll go, wow, wee, look at this. Um, and then, of course, the Phoenix, the world's richest dog race, um, just off the back of that as well. So I think it will um, get some cross-code appeal. I mean, punters that would, uh, and normally thoroughbred punters that would not even think about having a bet necessarily on, on the trots or the greyhounds, uh, will, will invest, um, which has got to be a good thing for wagering turnover and vice versa. I mean, punters that... Um, for instance, you know, tune in to watch the Inner Dominion if they see Damien Oliver's uh, farewell race, and um, you know, at about the same time, uh, I think it'll be it'll be terrific stuff, David. So I'm, as you know, <clears throat> I'm uh, having a little spell. I'm going to have a few beers at a pub with a mate on or a couple of mates on Saturday afternoon, and then I might charge on down to the Inner Dominion myself. Keep a watch on that live and watch it all on TV. I think it will be a terrific night of racing, especially at this time of year. Because let's face it. Racing hasn't got much to crow about when we get to December, has it? Uh, so we should really celebrate Saturday night, I think. Good work, Ben. Talk soon. Thanks, David. Ben Dorries joining us. Mitch Cohen's online now. Mitch, the announcement made late Wednesday that the New South Wales State Government and the ATC had drawn up a memorandum of understanding to sell Rose Hill Gardens. It's been one of the best-kept secrets. Normally, these stories or stories in racing leak. There was no leak here at all. We talk about bombshell announcement. This was an atomic bomb to Sydney racing, really, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't a story that many saw coming. Most of the trainers found out at 4.30 that afternoon, on Wednesday afternoon, when it broke at 7 o'clock, I think around 7 o'clock on Twitter, the news sort of first started circulating, and then obviously in all our news bulletins the next morning and um, in the Daily Telegraph on the front page the next morning, obviously uh, huge news. Um, Look, it's a lot of water to go under the bridge what is it what what's going to become of i guess where do we go going forward i spoke to richard friedman uh the following day and i think he summed it up well at the moment there's there's more questions than answers Mm. isn't there we've got a basis of what it might look like obviously uh with with it disappearing the rose hill trainers will move to a a place uh, a new center of excellence at horsley park now what does that look like Uh, i spoke to a few trainers out there they say, obviously, if, if we're going to move, we're all for moving there, but it has to be the elite of the elite. It has to be the best training centre in Sydney by some way. Otherwise, there's some concern there that why would people send horses to them when they can send them to a track like Randwick, which is also going to get a refurb during this period, where they've got the track, they're on track, they're on site. If they're going to move to Horsley Park, it needs to be outstanding. The best Up, up there with the best training centres in the world. For, for people to move out there now. Uh, we don't even really know what it looks like yet, do we? Like, it's... it's uh, well, we know where the site is. Uh, we don't have any sort of maps of, of anything of what it looks like. So a lot of water to go under the bridge there, but then there's also so many other repercussions of it. The closing of the track is obviously the huge one. Obviously, a track with so much history. We know the Golden Slippers. Um, obviously, one of our premier races, the premier two-year-old race in the world. Now... Finding a new home for that um, is will be interesting in itself if this track does indeed close. Uh, it is, of course, a memorandum of understanding, but it does look like we're heading that way. But where do you put a new track? There's, yeah, there was talk. It, it, 
Yeah, if if there's look, I'm betting a million to one there'll be a new track. I mean, that that all sounds very good. Like I put it this way, Horsley Park or whether it's Horsley Park, there has to be an alternative training base for these trainers at Rose Hill. Everyone understands that. That's a given, as I said in my opening remarks. But another track, how much money to spend? Yeah, I'm very doubtful. Just a couple of other quick questions. Time is running against us. You've been at the races. You talk to people. So since this was announced on Wednesday, what's uh, a vibe generally develops early? What's the vibe amongst the people you're speaking with, for or against? Look, uh, I spoke to a few on Thursday, and not much of the opinions changed over the weekend. If if it's done right, plenty of people are for it. But it needs to be the, the stressing there is it needs to be done right. Like if if they're going to change it and they build a state-of-the-art, world-class training centre that trainers actually want to go to, they'd be for the idea. Now, the track is a different matter altogether. Where does the track get built? Well, now, there's talk that uh, they're looking at uh, inner-Sydney locations. Now, I don't know the last time you've been to Sydney, but where are you going to build it east of Rose Hill at the moment? Where are you going to find the track space to build the track? Now, if they're moving, updating the other two tracks at Canterbury and Warwick Farm, they're just... They're going to need some work, and again, we've got more questions than answers on how that looks, but at the moment, they're not up to scratch on Sydney Racing. Now, we know the importance of turnover on a Saturday meeting. Do we move Saturday meetings there? How does that impact turnover? More questions, no answers. So these are things that uh, I guess people are concerned about, but we don't really have the answers at the moment. I think it's going to be something we're going to be talking about for the next 18 months uh, relentlessly, David. Yeah, Rose Hill, of course, a spacious circumference with long straights and, uh, of course, Canterbury and Warwick Farm, not so as much. Two two quick points. Uh, I felt Chris Waller's uh, presence on this issue was interesting because it means a lot to him. He trains most of the horse at Rose Hill. I wouldn't say he came out against it, but I also wouldn't say there was a ringing endorsement from him. So he's keeping his, or playing his cards pretty close to his chest at the moment, and I understand that. Yes, certainly. Chris, uh, look, I, I think Chris didn't want to speak when I first uh, reached out after the issue. He wants to know how all the details look before he really comes out and, and says for or against. Obviously, um, it's a big issue. He's the one that's hugely impacted, given that he's the biggest trainer there. Now, there's seven trainers that train out of Warwick, oh, sorry, out of, Rose Hill Gardens, he's certainly the biggest of them. He obviously has a training operation at Warwick Farm as well, but he's the voice that everyone wants to hear when, I guess, the the actual plan comes out, when we, once we know what's, what it looks like, because I think Chris will have some sterner words then. Yes, certainly so. And just in closing, I reckon if you wanted to frame a market on what track would be sold in Sydney, Canterbury would have been a dollar oh one, and Rose Hill would have been $100.00. Uh, because Canterbury's got no traders, and, and it's and it's you know in a city so to speak, but uh, that's not the case. So it, it's Rose Hill's the P. So, but as you said, and as I said at the start, a lot of water to flow under the bridge. Uh, Nashra Willer, tell me what he said about Zach Lloyd. This was um, a really sort of interesting stewards' room um, encounter on 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 Saturday. Obviously, um, I, I'm not sure if you saw race two on Saturday, David, but uh, look. Zach ended up uh, at about the 500 metres just shifting in onto Nash. It ended up being a, a protest that was upheld where Step Aside was impacted and ended up promoted to second place. But if you watch the replay, going past the winning post, Nash had, a, had something to say to Zach. And then when they took it into the stewards' room, he, he was still very agitated. He said, I can't teach him because he won't listen. 
Well, we well, we all got each other's lives in our hands, and, mate, what you did was terrible. So, look, pretty stern words from a senior jockey that we don't often hear. Now, um, obviously, I think heat of the moment things, I don't think... I think he wants what's best for him, but they were certainly... Um, Certainly an agitated Nashrulla. Zach obviously got suspended uh, for his role in the incident. Again, unfortunately, we know um, what's been pretty costly for Zach throughout his apprenticeship is these careless riding bans. He'll start his ban after Wednesday's Magic Millions meeting and, and be off till Christmas. So a, a timely break if uh, if you want to enjoy the, uh, the Christmas festivities, but uh, not a good one. But uh, look, it was... Certainly not something that we see often in the rooms of, I guess, a senior rider being so stern with one of the apprentices. Certainly the case. Tom has beaten us, Mitch. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks for your comments on Rose Hill. Most interesting. Cheers, mate. Mitch Cohen joining us at the Daily Telegraph in Sydney. Well, as we said at the top of the show, the uh, the heats have been run and won, and now we go to the big grand finals of ID23 at Albion Park. I was going to say this Saturday night, but it's actually in the afternoon. The uh, Pacers grand final, I think the trot is a bit later. Chris Barsby's been with us each and every week here on Press Room. He's with us now. Chris, good morning. David, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. I reckon I picked the best night to go to the trots was Tuesday night. The heats were over the 21.38. In the end, there was no predictability. The racing was exciting, both Pacers and Trotters. I've got to say, in contrast, and there's no one to blame for this, it's just how it pans out, Saturday night... The racing, it's fair to say, over the long distance, the 2680 metres, was pretty stayed. Uh, they found their positions, and they stayed in those positions for a long way. Paces and trotters. Yep, absolutely agree with that. Uh, paces and trotters, it was pretty much uh, a procession most races once they sorted out their positions. Uh, so it was... It was challenging uh, because there was a lot of horses there, both Pacers and Trotters trying to force their way into that grand final field. But, you know, there was quite a few there that were just, you know, trying to do their best just to make sure that they'd get enough points to get into the final. But, uh, yeah, I tend to agree. It it became quite uh, predictable, all the racing there on Saturday night. From the pacing point of view, uh, and not just on the third round of heats, but looking at the heats overall, uh, there's often a find or a discovery in a series and I think on this occasion, many would, or many would, would, or few would disagree that Nerano has been the fine so much so that he's catapulted himself up into a six dollar fifty chance for the final. Uh, you know, he was starting long odds in races regularly, but this series uh, he's turned a, a very significant quarter. There's no doubt about that, and I thought it might have been just a, a little difficult for his driver Cam Hart to choose between Nerano, given his current form during this series, and his stablemate Swayze, who is the Blacks of Fake winner earlier this year. He's the New Zealand Cup winner last month from New Zealand, but Cam Hart has made it clear that he's going to be sticking with Swayze, so a prize drive is up for grab. It goes the way of Jack Trainer, so he'll fly north from Sydney this weekend to partner Nerano, but his form, as you outlined, has been outstanding. He's got brilliant tactical speed, amazing change-up speed, and he proved that again there on the weekend. The fact that he was able to come off the back of a horse like Spirit of St. Louis and run him down in a 26-8 closing split just underlines how well this horse is going and how fast this horse is going. So he's a threat, there's no doubt about it. Jason Grimson, we've discussed previously, he's chasing his third straight Inter-Dominion title this weekend, and most were thinking he's got an excellent chance here with Swayze. 
He's got a dual-pronged attack here. Both horses can win, given the right trip, Swayze mm. and Nerano. So without doubt, he's been the fine of the pacing carnival, Nerano. Leap to Fame, of course, made a clean sweep, and we, we saw better Eclipse um, as the, the, the second-highest qualifier as far as points are concerned. Currently, the market has Leap to Fame at $1.60. Uh, better, uh, Swayze, four fifty. Better Eclipse, 5 and Nerano, six fifty. Then a gap out to two horses at $17. Uh, in your opinion, and you've seen and broadcast and watched all of the heats, should that gap be as big between Leap to Fame and those other three runners? No, uh, uh, probably. I think they've got it right with Leap to Fame. He, he swept all three heats. And just going back through the history books, David, 10 horses since 1962. Under this traditional format, and a lot's changed in the last... 20 years or so, but 10 horses have swept the series, winning all three heats and the final. And this is what he's hoping to achieve this weekend, Leap to Fame. And he's been really dominant in his heats, uh, two of the three times in the heats. He's recorded the fastest time again there on Saturday night at the grand final distance. He went the fastest time. It's his home track. Uh, and he's such a great stayer, and his record proves that. He deserves to be the favourite. So I think they've got it right as far as the market is concerned. Better Eclipse has been very good. And Greg Sugars is in a very, very good position to become just the second driver to win both series on the same night, the Pacers and Trotters Grand Final. Most believe he's a lock with the Trotters Grand Final, with Just Believe, because he's clean-swept the series. But Better Eclipse has won two of the three heats, and he's looked really good. And he just seems to be getting better as the series continues. So only one driver's done that before, and we're talking about 1975. John Langdon was the only driver that's been able to win both grand finals on the same night. So Greg's put himself in a great position. But in saying that, no driver has ever won three straight Inter-Dominion trotting grand finals, and that's what he's chasing. He won this series last year with Just Believe, so he's looking to go back-to-back. And two years ago, he won with Maori Law in Sydney. And that's the other important stat with Just Believe. Uh, no horse, no horse has ever been able to go through a series uh, undefeated two straight years running. So the Trotters is a little bit different to the Pacers. First series stage, I think, back in 1948. And traditionally, they don't normally run the three heats and the final. In fact, uh, only three horses have done it previously, where they've been able to win all three heats and the grand final. Take a moment, did it in 2003 in New Zealand. Tornado Valley did it back in 2018 and just believed it last year. So um, it, it's probably against him in many ways, but... You, you just can't knock the way he's going, Just Believe. He's been brilliant throughout the series, so really looking forward to that. Trotter's grand final on the weekend as well. Yes, uh, he rated 157.5 in comparison to the Queen of Leaders, 159.6, and he is $1.35, and it looks like, barring bad luck, he will win. A Queen Leader of $3.80, Plymouth Chubb eight fifty, and Olavici at $11. Just one final comment. Swayze was knocked off at $1.22, on Saturday night, he drew barrier one, but he was clearly beaten for speed. So uh, I was surprised he was so short, considering he's obviously not a fast mobile beginner. Yeah, and that was the unknown going into that heat. There was a school of thought, many thought he would have enough speed to hold up from that idea draw there on the weekend. And then there was others that just said he's not that fast off the gate. So in many ways... His Achilles heel was exposed there, his lack of gate speed. So this barrier draw later this afternoon is crucial in so many ways for Swayze, given that he has been exposed with that lack of gate speed. So that's going to be all important. 
And just from a local perspective, David, uh, huge pres- uh, uh, result here for Queensland in both divisions, Pacers mm. and Trotters. Five Queensland-trained Pacers have qualified. I think the record was six back in 2006 down in Tasmania, the year Blacks of Hague won his first title. But this is a record for the Trotters. There's six Queensland-trained Trotters. So half the field prepared here in the Sunshine State. They're probably up against it because, as you just mentioned, with those in the market, nothing features there. But it just proves how far we've come. We had the beaten favourite yesterday in the New Zealand Trotters derby, but uh, certainly on the up as far as the square gate is, is concerned. So the Queensland trainers have done exceptionally well on this series. That barrier draw, the barrier draw for both finals conducted uh, at a faraway destination. Is it one thirty Queensland time? One thirty Queensland time, it officially gets underway. I'm not sure if it's the paces that goes first or the trotters that go first, but one thirty those barrier draws will kick off. Yeah, it's, we'll, we'll watch the tab fix markets as that develops. Chris, thanks for your contribution during the heats. We'll talk next Monday after the grand final. You've provided a lot of colour in the heat so far, and I'm sure you're really looking forward to, to calling your first Inter-Dominion on Saturday night. Good luck. Thanks very much, David. Look forward to it. There he is, Chris Barsby. He doesn't need good luck, um, just a good management because he's an outstanding broadcaster. Look, uh, the Magic Millions Carnival is coming up in January. We've got the Wave Day on the 6th. We've got the the Big Magic Millions Day on the 13th. There's a lot of social activity associated with the Magic Millions Carnival. It's a great time to be on the Gold Coast. And one of the the key social functions, no doubt at all, is the Carbine Club Queensland Magic Millions Lunch. It'll be held on Monday, January 8th. I wanted to have a chat with Bob McCarg. Bob, of course, is a past president of Carbine Club Queensland. He's also a senior member and he joins me on Press Room. Great to have him with us this morning. Bob, good morning. Good morning, David. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for joining us. And um, I'm sure you'd agree, being part of the Carbine Club, that the Magic Millions Lunch is one of your big ones, and it's always well received. Uh, David, it's uh, probably our headline lunch for the year. It's uh, a fantastic lunch, and uh, I haven't heard anyone attending ever say they don't enjoy it. It just flows on all afternoon with guests and uh, entertainment. I'm going to give you a bit of a wrap because I know you're one of the key uh, men in organising the guests and I suppose the the success of the, the Magic Minions Lunch is the strength of your guests. Just tell us over the years some of, some of the, the speakers you've had because you've you've certainly reached, reached high and, uh, and been able to get them. Gee, you're going to test my memory, but uh, going back, uh, we had we had Mr. Alan Jones, who was really, really good. Uh, we've had uh, John Massara, we've had Mark Reed, we've had uh, uh, oh, um, I'm just forgetting now. You're testing my memory. It's been year in, year out. With uh, was Bill Waterhouse guests. a guest? We had Bill and Tom uh, yep. there as a team. Uh, Tom called Bill Grandpapa right through the interview, but it stopped the whole room. You could have heard a pin drop in the room. That was a great day. Um, just guest after guest that we've had. Uh, had Johnny Tap one year. Mm-hmm. Had uh, Kenny Callender, the great uh, Kenny Callender. Um, Rickor Lacey, we had. We had Chris Waller. We've had um, all the great greats from uh, media and racing. Well, 
rather look at the rear vision mirror, but the, so that's an impressive array you've, you've, you've outlined. Let's look forward to January 8. Who's our guest speaker this year at the Carbide Club? This year we have Mr Ray Hadley, uh, who is going to be our guest speaker, and he'll be accompanied by uh, trainer David Eustace from Melbourne, from Mara and Eustace, the team. But Ray will be our main guest speaker, and uh, Ray, as you probably know, would, has owned quite a number of horses and uh, understands the racing industry. Certainly does, and uh, of course he loves the Gold Coast as well. Now, importantly, uh, can anyone attend this Carbine Club uh, Magic Minions lunch? It can. We always do uh, membership first, but after that we open it to the public, and uh, it's open now to the public on the 8th of... uh, 8th of January, and you can make a booking through the Magic Millions website, or you can go to Try Booking, uh, trybooking.com slash events slash contacts, and make a booking. Excellent. So I would imagine, as well, um, the sooner you get in, the better. The sooner you get in, the better. We It's always held at the Star Casino. Uh, it's a lovely day. The food's great. We have uh, have the guest speakers and we have uh, Steve Allison as our comedian uh, who, who, who you will get a laugh out of it, I can tell you. And uh, the racing uh, fraternity always supports our lunch and uh, there'll be people from all over Australia in the room from the racing fraternity. Yeah, for sure. Steve Allison, I've seen him before. He is... Uh... He is a ripper. Hey, just before you go, just a bit of history with the Carbine Club. As I said, you're a previous past president of the Queensland edition. The Carbine Club, am I right in saying, kicked off in Melbourne back in the early 60s? In 1961, the Mother Club was started in Melbourne in 1961 and has now branched out to clubs all over the world. Yeah, it's been, it's been quite a phenomenon, and it's an important point you make, not just in Australia, but, but overseas as well. So yeah. we'll mark it down, Monday, January 8, at the Star, the Carbine Club Queensland, Magic Millions Lunch, Ray Hadley, David Eustace, and Steve Allison. I'm sure it's going to be a big day. Bob, thanks for joining us. That's a pleasure, uh, David, and uh, we'll see you at the lunch. Good on you. There he is, Bob McCarg, joining us, and... Um, uh, You've heard where you can get those bookings, either through the Magic Minions or that Try Booking website. Let's take a break here on Press Room. Back with Ben Scattered in Adelaide after the break. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. Thanks for your company on Press Room this morning. Of course, if it's Equine or Canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. Now, they've got 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all the big names, and they provide the very best Inventory services. You can buy the products online. Horsedown.com.au. Free call number 1800 060 896. 1800 060 896. Garrett's Horse and Hound. They've been presenting press room since day one. We talked about the Inter Dominion Grand Finals at Albion Park on Saturday. Of course, the big race, the Phoenix, the slot race for the Greyhounds, will be part of a, a big Saturday night. The market's very open. The box draw's been done. I'll give it to you. Past the buck, $4. This is in box draw order. Hector, 40, 460. Alpha Zulu, 460. Paceman, Pat, 6. Scalacci, 31. Wow, she's fast at 10. Big Energy, 550. And J is J is at $12. So a clustered market there. 
Ben Scanners with us now in Adelaide. Ben, good morning. Hello, David. How are you? Well, thanks. My good friend Bob Holton, the SAJC chairman, uh, will be standing down from that role, courtesy of the, the Constitution. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, he's done a great job, hasn't he, Bob? He's been on the board for uh, for eight years. Um, yeah, moving into his ninth year now, and yeah, he's announced that he is um, yeah he's stepping down from the from the chair position. Um, it's going to be in a transition period for for a while. Judith Jones, um, who's been on the board for a period of time, she's, you know, a very well known racing administrator here in South Australia, she'll step up to the chair role. Um, but yeah, I think we certainly deserve um, um, Bob deserves our our um, acknowledgement of the effort he's done over the over the past few years. It's been a uh, a significant period for the for the jockey club in terms of. Um, you know, restructuring, rethinking their business, um, and Bob's been a been a big leader in that. He's also incredibly um, welcoming to to new people who who attend the races on a Saturday. Um, yeah, he's been done a done a fantastic job, and I think he should be a proud for what he's achieved. He's played a strong hand in that master plan, of course, with the the yeah. housing development there that that is currently underway in terms of the plan itself. But of course, he's seen the event centre open, which we discussed last week. I think yep. the good part is, too, it goes from one safe pair of hands to another safe pair of hands. As you said, Judith Jones, well-respected and with a, a good good timeline in racing administration. That's right. And, there, and the great thing is all these, from well, from what we can see, all these all these people are singing from the same hymn sheet. That's really important. They're all all heading in the same direction, all got the same beliefs in terms of where the, where the jockey club should be heading. Um, yeah, they're all on the same page, which is which is very very important. So that the 2020, 2024 board have Judith Jones as the chair. Christine Simpson has stepped up to the vice chair role. Then Bob Holton will serve his his final year on the board. Uh, Peter Southern Ninnis, who's been on the board for a period of time, Giuseppe Intillo, and a new board member is Sally Nehus. Um, I don't know Sally, um, but I've read a little bit about her. She's she's been on the board of the South Australian Cricket Association SACA, which is um, Adelaide Oval basically. So um, you know that's a pretty significant board board position. So she's obviously very experienced. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm sure she'll be a, a welcome addition to the board. So just the the six board members, um, with Judith Jones stepping up to that chair role. When you said uh, South Australian Cricket Association Sacker, I thought, gee, she hasn't even started yet. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I South Australians would have known what I what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean now. Hey, yeah. um, it was a pretty dreary day at Morfville oh, yeah. on Saturday. Uh, the track deteriorating with just constant rain, but it wasn't dreary for Alana Livesey. Big day for her. Yeah, really big day for Alana. So she um, and she gee, she rode this horse really well. Struck by in the Christmas handicap. Um, the horse is always on paces, so she rode him, rode him forward, and she said kind of outside the leader, almost in front, like half lengthening the horse to her inside. But she, she kind of picked the best, best ground, and seemed to make a huge difference. She's probably you know five, six horses off the rail, um, where she considered to be the best ground, and the horse absolutely uh, thrived and and showed his best again. He won really impressively, won by a couple of lengths that Christmas handicap, the the big sprint race that we always have just in in the lead up to the end of the uh, end of the year and. Yeah, that was her first um, stakes victory, and Travis Dowd was um, full of praise for Alana after the race as well. Said that she did, a, you know, he thought she, he rode the horse, uh, she rode the horse perfectly. Um, he also talked a little bit about, about struck by and the fact that he uh, 
he kind of had to change up his training program quite radically because he, uh, his first up run, he was very disappointing. His second up run was a lot better than he thought his third up run was poor again. So he said the horse basically hasn't only had the saddle on once since his last start and spent a lot of time at the beach and a lot of alternative training and certainly seems to have made a difference because he's a, he's a very good horse struck by and um, it had been a little while since we'd seen the best of him, but he, uh, he certainly found the, found the tricks to him for Saturday. Yeah, they knew, they, the, the the infamous they, because that was $11 in the morning struck by, I think it ran about $4.80, so landed good bets. Two other apprentices worth mentioning, Ben Price and Nicola Ewan. Yeah, that's right, Ben Price, um, and he's achieved a lot in a very short period of time, hasn't he, Brent? He's, um, he's certainly been, you know, well, he's our leading apprentice, I think it's fair to say. He outrode his claim um, on Crown Mint, a horse we've talked about a little bit over the years, years David, he got the job done again on Saturday, um, yeah, so... That victory meant that Ben is now a um, doesn't claim in the city. Um, it's always a, a really significant achievement to to outride your claim, outride your city claim. And yeah, he's a he's a super talented uh, jockey, Ben. And don't know where he's going to head, what his what his plans are for the future. Obviously, his brother Will rides rides a lot in Victoria. I don't know whether Ben's got aspirations to potentially head across the border at some stage, but. If he decides to stick here in South Australia for a period of time, um, I'm sure he'll be very well supported and uh, and continue to ride a lot of winners. And yeah, Nicola Ewan, as you said, she uh, the Hong Kong apprentice who's been here for a period of time. She she won her first Metro race on Roxy Blue for Shane and Cassie Oxlade. She's had really good success, particularly at the country meetings, Nicola. Um, but yes, she's only just started riding in town and didn't take her too long to get that first city winner. For sure and soon. Colin McNiff's about to join us. Just before you go, though, mentioning Sophie Logan had her first uh, starter as a trainer on the weekend. Yeah, that's right. So Sophie, she's uh, she's been around for for a reasonable while. Um, obviously, came through our apprentice academy and had good success there. And yeah, she's decided to uh, to try her hand at training as well. She had a had her first runner on Saturday, um, a horse called Starter. Um, yeah, he, he finished midfield in the uh, race won by All Beans later on the day, and Sophie rode as well. So, uh, jockey trainer—you don't see that too often, do you? In the in the thoroughbred ranks, where somebody trains and rides their own horses. But um, yeah, Sophie did it with Starter on Saturday, and I'm sure she'll uh, she'll learn plenty as she goes along, and it won't be too long, and she'll be getting a winner. Good work, Ben. Thanks for that. Thanks, David. Ben Scadden joining us. As I said, Colin McNiff's on the line from Tasmania now. Colin. The Conquering Stakes field is out for Wednesday at Launceston. Mm. It's a listed race. Can the inevitable, I know it's early doors, there's still 48 hours to go, can the inevitable make it three straight Conquerings? Well, you would think so. Uh, at weight for eight, he just comes in so well, meeting these uh, other, the opposition on, on equal terms with 59 kilos. So you would think he's going to be a pretty short price favourite. Of course, he's had about four and a half weeks off since uh, he raced at Flemington, uh, back to the 1,400 metres, but... Area number two. Look, he's rated 109. The nearest to him is uh, Swoop Dog, who's rated a 95. So under handicap ratings, he'd be uh, he'd be giving these uh, these uh, other gallopers uh, plenty of weight. So he's well in, and uh, he'll be a short price favourite to to win back to back to back. David Perez uh, rides and draws barrier two in a field of nine. We've also got the $75,000 three-year-old trophy. Is the other feature mm. on the night. Yeah, Island Warrior was very impressive in the three-year-old cup uh, recently. Um, uh, she'll be very hard to beat, Doro Star. A rumour was very good 
even though it was unplaced, it was coming back from 1,600 metres back to 1,200 in that race and uh, you'll much more appreciate the 1,400 metres on Wednesday night. That's going to be another good race. And uh, for the two-year-olds, we've got the $50,000 Alpha Bowl. Um, only three of the uh, nine have raced, so six first starters in that $50,000 race over 1,100 metres. Good card on Wednesday night. Uh, the weather turned against you at Devonport on Friday. It did. We had the... Uh, the Golden Mile, which is a traditional lead-up to the Devonport Cup. The winner is ballot three into the Devonport Cup. That was Miss Charlie Brown, uh, one of two winners for Adam Trinder and one of three for Erica Byrne-Burke. But after the seventh race, uh, it really turned nasty and there was uh, plenty of surface water on the synthetic track and visibility was uh, was quite down. It was a twilight meeting. It was very dark, very gloomy with that surface water. Yeah, we uh, had to abandon the last race, unfortunately, but not before we had a good day of racing. As I say, Miss Charlie Brown... Uh, stamping her credentials for the Devonport Cup with a very impressive win leading all the way in the Golden Mile. I know there were a couple of horses you wanted to uh, pinpoint from, from Lonnie last Wednesday night mm. that you were impressed with. Yeah, Love and Bev, uh, look, it's only the, uh, it's one that's passed to a maiden in the Class 1. This is one trained by Siggy Carr, who is another one of those uh, trainer riders, uh, the only one we've got here in Tasmania. But uh, Love and Bev, at her most uh, recent two starts, she won a maiden by seven lengths and then stepped out in the class one and won that by four and a quarter length. So she's low flying at the moment. Not too sure where the ceiling is with her. And another horse, Gigi's Gemstone, is one of his past three. It's one of the Stuart Gandy uh, team. Only had the nine starts for five wins, but I think this fellow, uh, this four-year-old, is way for age bound through the Summer Racing Festival. Very nice type, Gigi's Gemstone. And uh, Anthony Darmanin got off and admitted it was a horrible ride, and it really, really was, but the horse was just uh, so good that it, uh, it got the line first. So it was a most impressive performance. Nice when they admit it. Good on you, Colin. Have a good morning. Thank you. Cheers. Colin McNiff joining us from Tasmania. That is Press Room for Monday, the 11th of December, brought to you by Garrett's Horse and Hound. As always, appreciate your company. Look forward to... You're joining me again next Monday. Don't forget, next Monday will be our last press room for a few weeks because Christmas Day and New Year's Day falls on the Monday. So we'll be then back, I think, on the 8th of January. But we're certainly with you next Monday. Have a good day. Bye-bye.